1: Welcome to The Vice Magazine Podcast, your definitive guide to enlightening information. For the final installment of our music issue coverage, I invited some of our editors to discuss how technology has changed the state of the music industry today. I remember celebrating a birthday when I was younger. I probably had just turned 9 or 10 years old, and a friend gifted me salt and Peppers Very Necessary CD. The problem was I only had a Walkman, so I had to exchange the CD for a tape. For those of us who grew up in the 90s, this was the norm. You saved your allowance, bought a CD, and listened to it on repeat. Fast forward to today, and the technology now lets us access millions of songs with the touch of a button. But are these advancements hurting or helping us? I spoke to three vice editors for their thoughts. OK, why doesn't everyone start by introducing themselves?
2: Hi, my name is Emily Friedlander. I am a senior editor for Vice Digital and formerly the editor-in-chief of Thump.
0: This is Dan Ozzy. I write about music for Noisy.com, the website.
3: Um, My name's Eric Sunderman, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Noisy.com, the website, (laughs) Noisy.com.
1: So with the music issue coming out in November... And a lot of the stories have to do with technology and its effect on the music industry, whether that's good or bad. I guess the first question is, in the age of streaming with Spotify and Apple Music and those kind of sites, uh, where you have access to everything all at once, how do you figure out what to listen to? And how does that process different than maybe like 10 years ago?
3: Well, I read it on Noisy. (laughs) (laughs) Great answer. Just want to say. I think that uh, I look to social media a lot. Um, I think Twitter is still a good source for, like, what people are talking about or what's new. Um, I do – I mean, I subscribe to various playlists. I use Apple Music personally. Um, And then, honestly, just word word of mouth still. Like, there's people whose specific opinions that I – um, trust and there are writers and editors um across the internet and publications that I follow. Um you know, if Pitchfork gives best new music I still I listen to it like there's there's a lot of weight still carried by that. Um but I don't know if I'm I I edit a music website so I don't know if I'm like a normal mm-hmm. Yeah, we're the worst yeah. people to ask. <laughs> yeah.
1: Does that process differ than it was 10 years ago then for you guys? I mean, obviously, you guys, I think, have all been writing about music for a long time. Is yeah. That-
2: yeah. I would go to my local record store and befriend the clerks there and talk to them because they always had the best taste. Or I would pick up print magazines like Spin and Rolling Stone or Fader and read what they're writing about and then decide what to buy uh, based on the reviews there.
0: I, I was thinking about this a lot lately about how much the omnipresent internet has just changed how I appreciate music to, not just how I consume it, because like when I was 14-year-old kid, buying a CD was a big investment. Like $15 Mm -hmm. was a lot of money when you're in high school, you know? And so anything that I bought, it would be stuff that I might not even have heard prior to buying it, which seems like a crazy act now to just go buy something you've never heard anything of. And if I put $15 in it, I was going to find something that I liked about (laughs) it. Like nobody like works for music anymore. It's just like you get what you want, only what you want, and lots of it, which is cool. But in a way, like... You never challenge yourself to think about, like, okay, well, why don't I like this? you just like, eh, I don't like it, next.
2: Mm -hmm. yeah. I I think there is also kind of a deeper listening back then as a result, because if you're one CD a week, I usually would buy, like, one CD a week with all my allowance money. Um, If that was all you got, uh, you had to make do that week listening to that album and try to like it.
1: Also, I think being younger and being, like, a teenager – you're maybe more apt to be obsessed with a band?
3: I mean, I think it's interesting too because like every Friday I pull up my phone and that's when new music comes out now and I just add like six records that have come out that maybe I haven't heard yet. It's a lot more rare for me to like go get a record and then like come home and like put it on and like sit there and listen Mm -hmm. to it, you know, um, because of the way that we consume music now. Um, because of access to everything all the time and so i think to dan's point it does devalue it a little bit but it's like i don't want to like sit here and say it's like bad like oh because like access to all music is sweet but um where i think there is something that i don't know if it's been figured out yet it's just like how do you care about something or like Mm -hmm. how can you can with with like information kind of constantly coming over you What is it that will make you stay? Because before it was like, well, I spent 15 bucks on this. But now it's like I already have
1: it. Dan, you were talking last week about how you still buy vinyl. What is the role of vinyl now? Like, What does it – what's the purpose of it? Well, it's
0: funny because I do collect vinyl almost like accidentally. Like I don't drink, but I imagine it's like – buying vinyl is a lot like drinking because like this morning I woke up and like I looked in my inbox and it was just like thank you for your order from Discogs and I was like oh no what did I do (laughs) last night (laughs) and that's what I do I stay up late and I order records and then I wake up in the morning and I'm like oh I feel so bad about myself but the ones that I do buy are just like stuff from you know, yesteryear before the internet, like especially like low print hardcore records that I buy that because I'm like it's not officially on the internet. So it can just mm-hmm. go away in any moment. So I'll buy those because I almost feel like this is a limited release of this music that like if I don't own like who's going to take care of these records mm-hmm. like and these songs and what happens to them?
2: Especially for independent artists, it's a nice gesture to buy the vinyl simply because they're surely not going to be getting any streaming revenue at all. Mm -hmm. Vinyl is extremely popular right now, but most vinyl production is um, represses of major label, like classic albums that are sold in places like Urban Outfitters. Mm -hmm. Um, So people are buying... I don't want to say they're buying more vinyl than ever before, but they're buying a lot of vinyl these days. But it's often... Strange, like collectors' yeah. items that they may not even listen People to. They who may just want
0: to frame them and put them in their living yeah, room. like put yeah, them on yeah. the mantel
2: place, yeah. right? Um, and then that leads to a problem, tying back to your point, where a lot of smaller labels can't um, can't get access to record pressing yeah. facilities. It takes like
0: four months in advance to get your record pressed, and I think it's getting worse. Like everybody that I know that does like an indie label, like you said. It's just, like, feeling the squeeze of it because, like, it's like, oh, actually, your record's going to take five months to press because they had to repress the Clue as soundtrack for no, some <laughs> reason, you know?
1: Yeah. yeah. It is a good um, album, though.
0: Well, <laughs> nobody's knocking <laughs> the Clue.
1: Like, I hate <laughs> the player, not the game, all right?
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of to Dan's point, I do fear that, like, with how the great beast of capitalism works that, like, all of the things that Dan's talking about all what Emily was talking about like these like kind of moments little small interactions that you have with music as a fan are just going to become like obsolete like all, all people are going to care about is the biggest artist in the world or whatever so like the fun like corners of consumption are going to be eliminated and that is
0: sad I don't know like I, I when you're putting out an album you're thinking about it mm-hmm. in terms of like a whole object, like an art object, how it looks, how it sounds, in some cases even how it feels. Like you're talking about like, you know, this is going to be on like a matte black or versus like a shiny black. Like things like that matter. And I feel like kids
3: in the future probably won't care about that at
0: all. Like they'll just care about recordings.
3: Well, I mean, you wonder though, because then you also see an artist like Frank Ocean last year who was put out like probably one of the biggest albums of the year, um, sold a ton of records um, was like number one on lists all around, number one on Noisy's list. And, you know, he put it out on vinyl and it sold out instantly. Like, yeah, it has a zine. Like artists are, are doing what you're talking about. And it seems like fans are there to consume it and to buy it and all of that. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm still scared. Like, you know. <laughs> <But> it's <laughs> not, not to like, you know, <clears throat> talk bad about
0: Frank Ocean, it just sucks because like, yeah, Frank Ocean did a cool thing, but that probably means like Emily said that like a hundred small artists didn't get the chance to that year because the vinyl pressing plant, there is something like three vinyl pressing plants left in the country that like actively print records. Like that's insane. And so you have like these 20 mega huge artists that can do whatever they want. And like, you know, and this is nothing against their music, but like Beyonce and like, Taylor Swift and Ward and all these people get all the resources to put out their records, and, like, everybody else has to take a hit because
3: there's only so many resources to put out their stuff. Yeah, we're just going to lose something in that. And I think that that music fans want it, but I just don't know if it would be able to be provided.
1: So Drew Milliard wrote that uh, essay in Upcoming Music Issue about how... Sites like Spotify mean that artists can game the system by basically sort of figuring out what kind of song to make that will get the most hits that will drive it up the charts to get the most eyes and ears on it, and what does that mean for independent artists and what that and like how people actually make music?
2: There is this really weird um, fact uh, in the piece where um, Drew spoke to someone who worked at a record label and they said that often the recognizable idiosyncratic artists with a name on the label wouldn't have a track on the record that performed well algorithmically and then a completely unknown up and coming artist on the label would somehow have music that was algorithmically friendly or algorithm friendly Mm -hmm. and then they would generate much more revenue than like famous artists and to be an um, it,
0: but what is what makes an, a song like perform well on those kinds of ser- services algorithmically?
2: I don't I mean they don't release that information mm. but um, there's been stories of artists who sort of pick up on the like the artists do research about mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. and then they try to pick up on like what what's a sweet spot in terms of combining this sound and that sound. Um, something we spoke a lot about um, at Thump was the lo-fi house genre, which was sort of a chill, wavy mix of house, like lo-fi house and uh, other kind of indie electronica. And the music that some of these producers were producing hit this middle ground of so many different desirable genres that it they would rock it up and have, like, you know tens of thousands of listens and these unknown artists and yeah I just wonder will identity start to matter less in this new system obviously as journalists we're really focused on you know who are the artists who are make the most uh distinctive music and have the most distinctive personal brand but on this other really weird level there's people who just make music that is successful but nobody has ever heard of them Mm -hmm. it's very strange
0: Good algorithm trick. Uh, Just
3: name your band The Rolling Stones.
0: (laughs) People do stuff like
2: that. People People are doing stuff like that on Mm -hmm. Spotify.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's bad. I don't know. I mean, I think it's just like, I think algorithms (laughs) are bad. The Rolling Stones are bad. Eric Sunderman, (laughs)
0: noisy editor,
2: (laughs) On the
3: record. I love the idea that I can pull out my phone and listen to anything at any moment. It's like there is a lot of music that I have access to, but I would happily throw that away and like not have that if, if it could let us not provide our listening habits to people, provide data. To me, that's maybe the scariest part of it, is it's, I'm showing every day my listening habits to these corporations who control art. And then they can market to me. The iPhone's only ten years old, and like the amount of change that's happened between then and now is insane. And and I think it's scary what's happening to music and art because of that.
2: I feel like starting in the late two thousands, um, a lot of very underground artists started taking advantage of social media to try to reach wider audiences, and There is this explosion of people who otherwise would have been kind of part of this, like, low-key underground counterculture trying to, like, work inside the commercial market and, you know, why we receive articles from so many artists who are hiring publicists and trying to make, like, a big commercial go of what they're doing. And, I, and, and the weird thing is that there isn't enough room on publications to write about all this stuff. There aren't enough ears to listen to all this music. And very few artists are actually going to make revenues from what they're doing. So I wonder if there's going to be some sort of shift at some point where people, certain people, like, stop trying to play the system and... decide to just really remain firmly in the underground i think there will be i
3: think i mean there's a generation of kids who want to buy like frank ocean zine like i think that there's going to be a reaction to like get off of facebook or get off of the internet and i and i hope that it's just able to like sustain itself you know i think that's the thing that's scariest
2: so crazy to um, read Luke Sante's piece that's also in this issue. Mm -hmm. He talks about being a young person in the late 70s and early 80s and what it was like back then. And Mm -hmm. um, he talks about how there was only like a hundred people in the whole city that Mm -hmm. were part of the scene and were listening to this music. And there were a few record shops and everyone would go to those record shops and a few bars. And obviously that, it like stoked a nostalgia in me and I wonder if the reason why it did, it did that is because of like what we're talking about yeah. here
3: mm-hmm. I'm constantly thinking about how social media has changed the way that we think and changed the way that we perceive things like we talk about like what new york was like in like the 70s you know and it was people were just reading the village voice and going to shows (laughs) the reality is is yeah there were maybe like a 100 people doing that but the pressure that social media and the internet puts on you is to be thinking that like oh this is how everybody's thinking and that's why noisy has to write like a news article about drake drinking a milkshake you know because (laughs) like we have to hit this huge readership that taps into, like, the mainstream. And it's like, you know, maybe at the end of the day, there's only, like, a certain amount of people who are going to be willing to, like, listen to music like we do or listen, like, because it's a scene. It's small. It, It has identity. Like, that's the purpose. It's purposefully not mainstream. And so the way that having access to everything it goes against the idea of being counterculture because then it becomes culture and therefore there's something there lost.
1: The Vice Magazine Podcast is a production of Vice Media. For more info on the podcast or how to subscribe to the magazine, visit vice.com. And be sure to subscribe to the Vice Magazine Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Acast, or any podcast app you use. Leave us a rating and review and let us know what you think. I'm Ellis Jones, and I'd like to give a special thanks to Emily Friedlander, Eric Sunderman, and Dan Ozzie. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks for listening.